You ever seen anything like this before? No. And it's still changing. It's figuring us out faster than we're figuring it out. It doesn't have anything else to do. So we have a novel virus with a mortality rate in the low 20s. No treatment protocol and no vaccine at this time. That is correct. From here on out, I want no one working on this except the BSL-4. The last thing we need is for this thing to walk out of the lab on the bottom of someone's ship. And welcome to another episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where film meets psychology. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and uh, today's episode is going to hit pretty close to home. Um, The uh, little bumper I had at the beginning... I had no input. I just wanted to play a nice little scene from the film that we are discussing today. And that film, uh, very timely, Contagion. This film came out in 2011 and a huge number of stars, Steven Soderbergh directed, a huge number of stars, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, whose voice you'll hear quite a few times um, in this episode because of the clips that I got. uh, Kate Winslet, uh, Marianne Cotillard, Gwyneth Paltrow has an untimely death, probably from all the goop products that um, she unsuccessfully used to uh, save her from the virus. Uh, Matt Damon's in it. Jude Law. Uh, uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta plays himself, which is great uh, because he's currently interviewing people about coronavirus COVID-19 right now so you know almost 10 years later life is imitating art luckily it isn't um as crazy as the film right now but uh fingers crossed uh I'm gonna knock on some wood here that um it doesn't get as crazy but there are a lot of parallels in the film that uh that we we do want to talk about And so we'll get to that in a little bit when I introduce uh, our guest host for today. Before I um, we we jump into that, uh, I did want to just uh, give a shout out to all of the listeners and the sharers and the likers and all of the people who are supporting this podcast in the way uh, that they have been doing. We just recently surpassed uh, a thousand. Uh, downloads and that's through from what i understand through all of the the um, ways that you can get it um all of the aggregation goes to the uh media source so where we have it um hosted at podbean shout out to podbean there uh and so we just surpassed a thousand downloads and and i want to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart for um uh listening and and 
chatting and sharing and all of that stuff uh and and being on the show to some of you who are listening who are are, are um, regular listeners who have been on the show i've uh, it's pretty amazing uh, i know a thousand downloads it doesn't sound like a month much but you know we're we're still on the up upward trajectory and and that's where i want to keep going and and a thousand is a kind of a interesting milestone so i just wanted to to uh to bring that up before we we got in, we jumped straight into this to this episode. My guest host today is Dr. Anthony Zaccalillo. Anthony is a native East Coaster and cinephile, but is coming to us today from South Texas, where he is a professional associate professor at Texas A&M University in Corpus Christi. He teaches a wide variety of courses in which he has found new and interesting ways to incorporate film ooh, into his teaching. Very good. I like that. Most notably and fun, he regularly teaches several classes on psychology and film uh, or psychology and popular culture. I would love to take both of those classes, honestly. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks for having me. You bet. I'm happy to have you on. Uh, so we're going to jump straight into discussing this uh, very important film. Um, but just very quickly, because I have to, with all of my guests, I wanted to ask you um, about your thoughts on film in general and why you use film in your teaching. Uh well, I've been using film my teaching for quite a long time. Uh, long ago, it started uh, as a way of incorporating into my general psych and abnormal psych to explore some of the uh -huh. portrayals of mental illness uh, right. and how noticeably it feeds into some of the myths and misconceptions. Yes, definitely. That evolved because it was so interesting and got the students talking. It evolved into using it with other general psych topics. Uh, and that grew into its own standalone courses where I try to explore the links between psychology and film, television, music, really all elements of popular culture. Right. Uh, so for instance, this summer, I'm scheduled to teach a psych and film course, and we're going to mm -hmm. look at and do an extended take on the movies and mental illness connection. Uh, right. I usually do something with superheroes and also looking at the dysfunctional family. Uh, and I'm actually preparing to possibly have to teach this class on, uh, uh, online. So that's yeah, a, just as we were challenge. discussing right before we started recording, that um, <laughs> you know this this whole um, COVID situation, you're gonna likely have to to do it online, which, which isn't is, the end of the world, I imagine. No, not at all. Uh, it's interesting. It's challenging, but it's forcing me to reconsider what I'm doing. So that's that's fine. Yeah, luckily, uh, doing an online film course, I mean, I'm just talking about film in general, doing an online film course, There's a, there are at least uh, a number of different ways that um, students can then, uh, you know, consume the media, whether it's through, like you were saying, Canopy, which is a great service for education, uh, through the library, through local library, um, if they if the films are available on Netflix or Hulu or anything like that. So, I mean, uh, at least it's something that you could do over the uh, over the break or yeah. over the summer. 
Yeah, I may just have to switch up some films depending on its on their availability. Uh, but other than that, you know, if they could stream it, then we could probably use WebEx or Zoom to have synchronous discussions and then take some of it in asynchronous and have them discuss it amongst themselves. Like I said, I haven't really spent a lot of time yet developing this. Yeah, I mean, more pressing matters is this semester online, right? <laughs> just just surviving this semester is really the goal right now. Right, exactly. Okay, so we've referenced it quite a bit. I started the show by talking about um, the the background of the film Contagion. All right, Anthony, what was your reasoning behind this <laughs> choice? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it seemed kind of a little obvious, but the tie-in to the current <laughs> events uh, was just an opportunity way too rich to pass up. I when agree. I, yeah, when I originally suggested it, I hadn't seen it in a while, but you know, I could remember the movie or remember key parts of it. I knew there was a lot of rich psychological content to mine. Um, right. But I also, at the same time, was seeing all of these internet stories about how you know, this was becoming, you know, a highly searched topic and streamed at a high rate. And mm -hmm. so that kind of got me thinking. And at the same time, we're seeing lots of different stories about how people deal with uncertainty and pandemic psychology. So it was all kind of com coming together when we were starting to think about how we were going to plan this episode. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and I was getting a lot of questions from students, you know, the most often being, well, why are people hoarding toilet paper? <laughs> and I couldn't answer them. So it's been interesting. And then I, once I rewatched the film, I was like, oh, yeah, we want to do this. Yes, right. And I went I went back through and I um, I didn't actually rewatch it, but I um, went back through a number of clips and um, reread the synopsis uh, because I was pretty sure I remembered the film. Um, and I also watched a deep dive take on it um, of all of the what they got right, what they got wrong. So and I had just watched that recently because uh, the YouTube channel that I watched it on um, took advantage of the moment as well. And I feel like that's what we're doing. We're taking advantage of the moment. But um, the good news about this one is it, it, uh, us taking advantage of the moment is that we're not going to try to create some sort of hysteria or pandemonium. I think um, what we can offer is a level-headed um, analysis of uh, the genre of a movie that does sometimes, and we could put in zombie films in this, uh, depending on how the zombies are created. Um uh, on this this kind of genre of right. film, yeah. and I think of the genre of film, Contagion outbreak. gets this. Yeah, that was outbreak. Mostly correct of all the ones that I've seen. Outbreak. So yeah. zombie films, notwithstanding. Um, but uh, how, what was the one with Dustin Hoffman? Um, that came out about almost twenty years ago. Pandemic or something like that, or outbreak. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, the. Oh, I was just, just in my head. Oh, what was the, um, oh, evolution. Um, the, the, the quirky one with the alien species. I know it's not necessarily an infection kind of movie, but, um, I feel like, uh, <laughs> it, 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 well it warrants a mention. 
uh, the science that is represented in Contagion is pretty good. Pretty good. There's some liberties that uh, Scott Burns, the writer, and Steven Soderbergh take to um, create a drama around a uh, a deadly, deadly disease. Uh, I believe the um, mortality rate for the virus in Contagion is about 20%, which is... Yeah, 20, 25. Yeah, it's, that is ridiculous. That is like um, population wiping, right? Right. Um, yeah, and, and if you I compare mean, if that you didn't to get our, a chance our... to rewatch it, you one of the things I really liked about the movie was they they use these timestamps, uh, how many days from day one? Yes. And when you start to look at those, especially since a majority of the film takes place between Thanksgiving and Christmas, so a period of about four weeks, mm-hmm. we're talking about numbers in the millions according to the film uh at that point so yeah when you talk about 20 to 25 percent that is kind of scary yeah um and if you could if you compare that to our current um coronavirus covid19 um mortality rate which is uh, depending on age group and underlying factors somewhere i I think the figure is somewhere between two and three percent right is that is that a figure that you've been that you've been um hearing yeah, two is two percent is the one that I've hear hear the most. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a fairly good average, uh, with the rates being higher for older age groups and the rates being lower for younger age groups. Um, but yeah, that so so the 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 virus in contagion is like, uh, ten times more deadly than COVID nineteen. Right. Um. So what. Well, well, one of the things that I found really fascinating, and he's been in the news, and I unfortunately don't have his name, but the epidemiologist who was the consultant on the film. Oh, let me see. I have IMDb recently- open. Let me see if I can um, find that. But go ahead. Yeah, he he actually uh, was recently diagnosed uh, or tested positive for COVID-19. Oh, no. But, w- yeah. W- one of his quotes, and you know, kind of goes to what you were saying was his attempt or his job, I guess, was uh, to accurately represent science that would entertain as well as educate. Yes, I, I, I love that um, because I feel like that's what um, like Dr. Keltner and Paul Ekman did for um, Inside, Inside Out. Out. Yep. So the consultant for the film was Dr. Mark Smolinski. Mark Smolinski. Okay, very cool. Yeah, and and so he recently uh, said that uh, that that was his role uh, on the film, and that's what he wanted to do. Yeah, the idea of entertaining while educating. Excellent. And I and 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 some of the things that I pick up picked up on with the film were probably the more educational parts because it's something that. Um, I didn't really know about until I, or I'll, let me put it another way. I, I think what I, um, when I first saw this movie back in, I want to say 2012 when it was out on, you know, DVD or whatever. So about eight years ago when I first saw it, um, I didn't pay too much attention to the science because I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, epidemiology is cool, but eh, 
it kind of <laughs> it kind of slows the pace a little bit. But now that now that I, I look back on it, 18, eight, eight, 18, eight years later, um, one, I, I really love the way that Steven Soderbergh directs movies. But two, it's actually really good when you compare it to the discussions that are happening right now. Um, so the first the, the first thing that I wanted to mention was the the discussion that I think is most prescient um, to our current times is um, the meeting where uh, Kate Winslet's character, she's mostly one of the main characters, I'll say. Um, she is in a meeting with a number of other epidemiologists uh, at the CDC. To consider closing the schools down. And who stays home with the kids? People that work at stores government workers, people that work at hospitals. When will we know what this is? What causes it? What cures it? Things that keep people calm. What we need to determine is this. For every person who gets sick, how many other people are they likely to infect? So for seasonal flu, that's usually about one. Smallpox, on the other hand, it's over three. Now, before we had a vaccine, polio spread at a rate between four and six. Now, we call that number the R-naught. R stands for the reproductive rate of the virus. Any ideas what that might be for this? How fast it multiplies depends on a variety of factors. The incubation period, how long a person is contagious, sometimes People can be contagious without even having symptoms. We need to know that too. And we need to know how big the population of people susceptible to the virus might be. So far that appears to be everyone with hands, a mouth, and a nose. Once we know the R-naught, we'll be able to get a handle on the scale of the epidemic. Do we shut down our entire society? Um, and Kate Winslet's like, Yo, you know what? We've got to talk about uh, the uh, R-naught value. Right. And and it's very it's a very crucial number because it's the value that represents how many people we infect um, as vectors uh, for mm-hmm. diseases that are communicable and uh, specifically for diseases that are highly contagious through things like fomites surfaces mm-hmm. uh, and as well as aerosol particles like from sneezes and coughs. Um, and so they were trying to figure out what that R not value is um, to see how virulent it is, how many people are infected every time somebody comes into contact with an infected person. And it's a very timely discussion. It kind of just, when you watch it again, and and I watched it a couple of nights ago, again, for the episode, I'm going to go ahead and play that for you all. Um, and so you cut, it's very sobering, right? It's like, oh my gosh. Oh, extremely. Because you don't think, you don't think that we're going to have to deal with a pandemic. That's so far-fetched and yet here we are well the other thing about that particular scene is she that was actually once she was on site at that first hot spot in minnesota yeah. which was where uh gwyneth paltrow's character resided right um and so that was actually before they were able to calculate an r not value but she was contextualizing it with other diseases. So right. she talked about the flu having an R-naught of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I think smallpox and polio were the other two she used as um, comparisons mm-hmm. with, I think, one of them was an R not of two, one of a four. And as you watch the movie sort of play out, they initially believe that it has an R not value of two, which was bad enough. Right. But later on, they determine it has an R not value of four. Yeah. Uh, which is why the numbers are so crazy after such a short period of time. Yeah. And, um, ooh. When you get to, so the, I mean, the, the only thing that's really saving us right now, um, with respect to COVID, is that its R not value is closer to two, right? Um, and so it's it's less communicable than polio or smallpox, um, which is which is very good, and which is why uh, China and South Korea saw. Um, improvement after in incorporating isolation quarantine social distancing that sort of thing and and um getting testing obviously testing going um th- it, so that r not value is is crucial and i think this 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 conversation that they have about it though and the things that lead up to it and the things that happen after it in in that that particular meeting room um is sort of the pivot point for the film because oh, then after the information gets out, then you have the scenes where people are looting. And um, I'm going to go ahead and quickly play the clip of Matt Damon, uh, who is Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, character's husband. Uh, Matt Damon's character going to the grocery store with his daughter. Is anyone even working here? Just get the cereal. Jory, don't touch anything. An old woman coughing, um, and she coughs like directly onto Matt Damon. Like, how friggin' rude, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but um, uh, they're like walking out, and he's trying to get hand sanitizer on her, and they, they, that this delivery guy gets beaten, like, pulled out of his truck, and beaten so they could steal the contents of the truck. I think steal the entire truck is really what they were going for. I believe so, yes. Yeah, and so you you you, you get you feed into that panic. So Anthony, now that you've um read more about it and and um in, engaged in the movie a little bit more, if if I were your student and I asked you, "Okay, Dr. Z, what why are people buying toilet paper why um is this film depicting this panic buying this looting what 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 about it um what about a pandemic like this would would cause people to do that well the answer that i always gave my students or give my students i should say when they ask me about why toilet paper is i have no idea just like everybody else uh <laughs> It doesn't make rational sense. But when you're talking about something like what we're experiencing right now, rationality sometimes goes out the window. And so I I don't claim to be any sort of expert on pandemic psychology or the psychology of the uncertainty. But there's a lot of things that we start to look at when it comes to that, that start to make sense. And I... If I actually thought about it, if somebody said, hey, by the way, there's going to be a pandemic, 
but you know, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Right. It's a little bit, it actually is a little bit predictable. Um, first and foremost, you know, when we don't know what's going on, we tend to resort to extremes Okay. and those things tend to become even more amplified when we hear conflicting messages. Uh, and so we could look at either the conflicting messages that we get from the news or we get from like our leaders. Um, but also too, there's a very conflicted message here. We're being told there's a very deadly, you know, virus that is easily communicable. Oh, but by the way, if you wash your hands, you'll be fine. Um, so that doesn't register, right? I mean, you're talking about something that's rather complicated with a really simple solution. And so that leads or lends to the uh, conflicting messages. Um, We also tend to, again, engage in these behaviors when there's a lack of clear direction. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about the importance, at least about that scene with Kate Winslet and talking about closing schools and there was a, and the aren't and the are not, uh, but there was a lot of things going on there that are eerily mirror what we're seeing now. Uh, they talked about things like messaging to the public right. and incubation periods and population that's most susceptible, right. and contact tracing. These are all things that we're hearing about now. And in the early days of this, there was really a lack of clear direction. And then you get the idea that, you know, monkey see, monkey do, right? Panic buying begets panic buying. Sure. Yeah. So you walk into a you walk into a grocery store and people have, you know, 40 rolls of toilet paper. You're like, oh damn, I better buy some toilet paper. Uh, yeah. So in a weird way, it allows people to have some kind of sense of control, even if it's not really terribly helpful, especially in a situation like this. Sure. Okay. I, I can, I can, I can dig that. I can buy that. So, um, I think this bleeds into a point that you made, uh, in, in our notes doc where the uncertainty, which you sort of, um, alluded to, um, is, is going to make people act in, in, in various ways, in certain ways. So do you want to expand on that? Some of the examples from the film, um, regarding, uh, uncertainty? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, again, again, no expert here, but from, you know, what I have tried to read to try and understand this a little bit better, uh, what the psychology of uncertainty postulates is that people are notoriously unwilling to make sacrifices for others when the benefits are uncertain. Sure. Um, and as a matter of fact, they're willing to make decisions that would hurt others. Okay. So when we look at things like panic buying, yeah, they don't think about the fact that you know, you're buying up all the baby wipes or the diapers and that, you know, or hand sanitizer and leaving perhaps members of the vulnerable population unable to buy it. Yeah. And just to quickly, um, just to quickly interrupt there, um, that guy in Tennessee who bought like $17,000 worth of um, sanitizer and wipes and, and um, all of that stuff, um, hoping to sell it for gigantic profits. So I think yep. that fits right. That, that gouging the price gouging aspect of it too. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that's and, a and, huge thing. Um, I, mean, I think the government told him that he had to, um, give it to charity. 
Uh, yeah, I believe – I don't remember if they told him he had to or that they were going to prosecute him if he tried to sell it at a profit. But I think he ultimately decided to donate it because he was shamed into it. Yeah. So you definitely saw a lot of that in the film in terms of the decisions and behaviors of people, um, whether it be the looting, the small town with the businesses on fire – yeah. The uh, riots when the military are handing out MREs. You mm-hmm. already talked about the people dragging the driver out of the van. Mm-hmm. But what I found the most interesting uh, was the contrast between that and some of those extreme selfless behaviors in the film. And when you look at, you know, and I, I, as you said earlier about Steven Soderbergh as a director, I'm a huge, huge fan of his. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wanted to, according to him, he wanted to show people at their worst, but also how their best comes out during these times. Oh, and yeah. To me, great. Yeah. To me, that was probably even more interesting than looking at these behaviors that were reprehensible. You know, when you look at, you know, the motivations behind, um, and I don't remember the actress's name, but the the character is Dr. Hextall, giving herself the vaccine because it worked on a monkey. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then later learning that she was the daughter of a doctor, you know, who basically ended up becoming infected because of his unwillingness to not treat, you know, people who were sick. So there was this kind of like father, like daughter thing going on. Um, mm-hmm. We also, we also saw the uh, Mary, uh, Marion Cotillard. Cody Yard. Yeah. Wrong. Uh, Leonora, uh, her opting to stay behind once she learned that the world health organization had duped the small village uh, and given them placebos instead of the actual vaccine. And she was willing to trade her own freedom because of a sort of moral belief that those people had been done wrong. Um, and then at the end, the uh, Lawrence Fishburne character giving his vaccine, despite the fact that he had this privileged place in line, uh, to the son of that CDC employee uh, yeah. whose you know child was in need. Yeah. So I found those to be really interesting elements to this film and a really nice balance to the chaos that was going on around it. Yes, I I agree. Those little points there um are important. Um and I and I want to specifically bring up uh the Dr. Cheever, which is Lawrence Fishburne's character, he give, giving up his um vaccine at the end. Um and I th- it's it's a redemption um bit because earlier in the film he's seen as a bit mechanical. Um and maybe um um uh what's the word uh, uh dispassionate uh with respect to people's lives right and so you know you think that oh okay he's going to be this automaton character that's sort of like just all brass and um we got to get the job done kind of kind of thing um what do we tell the public 
uh, that sort of thing. But then at the end, I, I I think he sort of redeems his humanity a little bit by giving up his vac his his access to the vaccine for the son of the employee. Um, right. Yeah. He was he was a very by the numbers kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of what you're referring to. Right. Uh, you started to see a little bit of that humanity, though, when uh, the CDC employee and uh, Kate Winslet's character, uh, who's in Minnesota, eventually contracts the virus and dies. You you definitely see some humanity there and the guilt uh, for yeah. not only sending her, but then not being able to get her out right, um, and having her die in, God, one of the most horrific sort of scenarios i mean if you think about the idea about dying alone but not only did she die alone she died alone in a makeshift hospital in a in a gym mm-hmm. and was buried in a makeshift mass grave mm-hmm. yep so you started to see a little bit of his humanity come out there and yeah, i think sure. definitely towards the end when he gives up his place in line and gives that yeah uh vaccine you, it's it was sort of his redemption yeah. Um, and that's actually uh, an interesting point because uh, one of the striking scenes, it's just a, maybe I, I don't know if I want to call it a scene, but um, just a, f- a, f- a few lines. He's he's talking to uh, Kate Winslet on the phone and uh, he is, you know, he they're, they're going back and forth. And I think it's when she started getting sick. Um, but she wasn't sure she, she kind of had a feeling, but she wasn't sure. Uh, and, um, he said, you know, if, if you're up in the middle of the night and you can't go to sleep, you call me. Right. Um, yeah. uh, 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 with a, with a number of other different things too, as like a uh, supervisor to an employee. But like the last thing was like, if you are awake in the middle of the night and you cannot go to sleep, you call me. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, there was also the part of that conversation where he was trying to, uh, and I might be kind of combining two conversations here, but where he was talking and empathizing with her situation and being like, you know, there was a time where I was like you and I was out doing, you know, what you're doing right now. So I understand. And then Kate Winslet comes back with the, well, have you ever had to tell a husband that his wife was cheating on him, um, which is again from the start of the movie. And he's like, Oh no, no, I've never had to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and you can kind of really see, and I really liked her character. Uh, she really uh, brought something to that in terms of the, on the ground, what we see in the early days of an epidemic. And I thought she, you know, especially in that scene we talked about earlier, kind of really shined a light on a lot of the things that we're seeing right now with COVID-19. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so I, I want to pivot to um, an additional psychological uh, idea that really stuck with me. Uh, and I think it's a broader um, topic, and I think we could spend an entire episode talking about this. But um, it's uh, so along the same lines of of you know why people are buying tp because they see other people buying tp uh it is why do people 
believe the conspiracy theories a subset of people i won't say most people are gullible i think people can see conspiracy most people can see conspiracy theories for what they are um on their face like you don't actually have to watch a documentary on why something's a conspiracy theory to know that it's conspiracy theory uh because most people can just be like yeah no that seems conspiracy theorish to me (laughs) but um there is a character played by jude law in the movie how good how swarmy was he oh gosh he's so bad He's so bad. It's like British Alex Jones, like oh, five <laughs> years before Alex Jones got um, really uh, uh, quote unquote famous. And, and the movie came out before Sandy Hook, which basically shot Alex Jones off into the stratosphere um, of infamy. Um, but yeah, well, you could oh. argue you could argue that this was well Jude Law's character's Sandy Hook moment. Um, you know, he was yeah. thrust into the national spotlight based on his early talking about some videos that were surfacing about this issue and had generated quite a loyal following of people who bought mm-hmm. what he was selling. Mm-hmm. And he peddled in those unsubstantiated claims on social media. Like he just used social media much like conspiracy theorists now use social media. They just, they just, or, or bots, Russian bots, you know, pick, take your pick, uh, where they just sort of plaster some claim on there and let people sort of fester with it. And then you repeat it and then you repeat it and then you repeat it and you keep repeating it where then the person who keeps seeing it is going to be like, Oh man, that makes a lot of sense. I keep seeing that. If I keep seeing that, it must be true. Right. It must be true. All sorts of, all sorts of, Issues of problem solving and cognition and confirmation bias. Yep. And why it is people choose to buy into these. You're abs- absolutely right. And and it was Forsythia, right? That was the homeopathic. Uh, uh-huh. Yes. Forsythia. Uh, um, yeah. And then he, pe- uh, he uh, so Jude Law's character um, uh, appears on uh, a, gr- a great little little uh uh segment with uh dr sanjay gupta who is an actual doctor <laughs> on cnn um he they, it's not cnn in the movie but it's a a, a cable news channel much yeah, like that it might as well be. um and so he has dr so he has dr chiva on the cdc guy lawrence fishburne's character and um uh, Jude Law's conspiracy theorist, and they're 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 having a back and forth about um, you know Forsythia and um, Dr. Chiva. Uh, Chiva calls it out as a uh, home like literally calls it out as homeopathic. Yes, there are stories circulating on the internet that in India and elsewhere the drug ribavirin has been shown to be effective against this virus. Yet, Homeland Security is telling the CDC not to make any announcements until stockpiles of the drug can be secured. Well, Dr. Gupta, there continue to be evaluations of several drugs. Ribavirin is among them. But right now, our best defense has been social distancing. No handshaking, staying home when you're sick, washing your hands frequently. Can you tell us to date how many people have died from this virus? Very difficult. We're still working on uh, confirming that number. 
there are 50 different states in this country, which means there are 50 different health departments, followed by 50 different protocols. Let me bring in Alan Crumwoody into this debate as well. Uh, Alan's a freelance journalist. Uh, he was uh, the first to track the Shinko Busman video. Uh, Alan, uh, today on Twitter, you, you wrote that the truth about this virus is being kept from the world by the CDC, by the World Health Organization, to allow friends of the current administration to benefit from it, both financially and physically. Uh, there are therapies we know are effective right now, like forsythia, and they don't even appear on the CDC website. On your blog, you also wrote that the World Health Organization is somehow in bed with pharmaceutical companies? Because they are. That's who stands to gain from this. They're working hand in glove. And the hand is reaching into our pockets. The CDC is exploring forsythia and other homeopathic treatments, but right now there's no science to back any of these claims. Or no way Dr. Cheva or the people who put him into power can profit from it. We're not ruling anything out. There are people who are sick, people who are dying, and we... They don't keep people safe from this any more than they kept us safe about the Wall Street or Katrina. Dr. Cheever is being a bit disingenuous when he says every American citizen. We're working very hard to find out where this virus came from, to treat it, and to vaccinate against it if we can. We don't know all of that yet. We just don't know. What we do know is that in order to become sick, you have to first come in contact with a sick person or something that they touched. In order to get scared, all you have to do is come in contact with a rumor or the television or the Internet. I think what Mr. Crumwoody is... Uh, is spreading is far more dangerous than the disease. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. That's funny. What's funny? No, I think you're funny, because if you check on Facebook, you'll find a communique attributed to Dr. Cheever by Elizabeth Nygaard about the quarantine of Chicago, hours before it was announced to the public. That's why I think he's a bit disingenuous when he says equal care for all and not just his friends. Some pretty wild allegations here, Dr. Cheever. I mean, can you tell us what communication appeared and when? What exactly is the nature of your relationship with Elizabeth Nygaard? Well, again, I'm not aware of anything attributed to me on any social media. I'm sure you're not. It is there. It is there. Tell them what an Arnold of two really means, Dr. Cheever. Teach them some math. Hmm? No? I'll do it. On day one, there were two people with it, and then there were four, and then it was 16, and you think you've got it in front of you. But next it's 256, and then it's 65,000, and it's behind you and above you and all around you. In 30 steps, it's a billion sick. Three months. It's a math problem you can do on a napkin, and that's where we're headed. And that's why you won't even tell us the number of the dead, will you, Dr. Cheever? But you'll tell your friends when to get out of Chicago before anyone else has a chance. Honestly, life paralleling art right now, but with the whole thing with the malaria drug and COVID-19 and... um, yeah, the vari- the variations <laughs> of um, chloro- uh, chloroquine or queen, something like that. Is that something how you pronounce like it? Yeah. Um, and uh, the variants of that and uh, the couple in Arizona who <laughs> ended up taking them and then. Yeah, it was a it wasn't the malaria drug. It was a fish. Yes, it was the fish tank fish cleaner. 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 Right. The, the other yeah. one is the um, malaria drug. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, so it was the variant of chloroquine, uh, chloroquine or chloroquine that um, is used to clean fish tanks, not the one that is used um, as a medicine. Right. Um, 
so which has a very narrow FDA approval, by the way. But um, there is no evidence that homeopathic medication, if we can even call it medication, homeopathic treatments would work for something that has a 20 percent mortality rate, um, let alone something that has a 1 percent mortality rate. Because yeah, there's no evidence that homeopathic med- uh, treatments work at all. Right. And in, in that scene, you know, uh, Cheever's care, or yeah, Dr. Cheever talks about um, that as being one of the medications being tested, which then the Jude Law character immediately turns, you know, around and being like, oh, how can we trust anything that you find out? Which is. You know, that's excellent fodder for conspiracy theorists, right? Yes, that was the second part of what I wanted to bring up is that, you know, once the claims are are revealed to be, um, you know, extraordinary and outlandish, well, the pivot is, well, you just work for, um, you know, the Illuminati. (laughs) Yeah, more or less. (laughs) Yeah, that you're in in bed, you know, or the government's in bed with large pharma. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the outcome, it it really preys on this situation where no matter what the outcome is, they win, right? Because if they find that it works, well, great, right? This is the wonder drug and now Mm -hmm. I am a genius. But if not, it also confirms the conspiracy theory because, of course, it's not because the government's in bed with big pharma. Right. And it's a no-lose situation for them. Uh, Right. So, yeah, those conspiracy theories are, are very insidious yeah and they can be um they can be uh pernicious to you um because uh the other day was it was either yesterday or the day before um i saw something going around social media where um in order to find relief from your debtors you had to say something regarding you know um i lost my job because of coronavirus um, you had to say that specific phrase or something like that. And I feel like um, it's just an attempt to make people feel stupid and and um, silly, because I doubt you actually have to say that to your debtors, like and that that literal phrase. Otherwise, they can't do anything about it. But um, I think I read something similar, right? They they were told not to ask specific questions if it was related to that, and it was only if it was initiated by the customer could they offer any kind of relief, which you're right, sounds silly. Yeah, um, and, and, and it sounds silly, but it also seems like it's designed to make the um, the person sound silly who's, like, engaging in this behavior, right? Yep. Um, nope, absolutely. And and so it, it's it's not necessarily dangerous because I mean I doubt you actually have to do that um, with your debtors, but I mean the idea is that these tiny little things work together to make people um, a bit uneasy, which brings up the fear component. And it makes people start questioning the information that they're getting. And so then, you know, people have to come out and say, you know, there is accurate and useful information out there. Please do still use the CDC's website. The CDC is the best place for uh, 
this information, your local health departments, like not everybody can coordinate this level of propaganda and tomfoolery. <laughs> you know, you're going to eventually break through all of the levels of bureaucracy and get some semblance of the truth. The, the one thing we didn't talk about that particular scene, which I think you sort of have to if you're going to talk about conspiracy theories, is towards the end of that particular segment, uh, the Jude Law character basically confronts the audience or uh, alerts the audience about Dr. Cheever had tipped off his wife mm -hmm. about a potential, the potential, or not the potential, the, the plan to close Chicago. Right. And it was done in sort of, no, you know, nobody knows about this until everybody knows it. Yep. And he called his wife and told her to get out. And so the Jude Law character exposes that on that particular TV show, which Im immediately discredits anything else that he says. Because yep. look at what he's done. Despite the fact that the behavior that Dr. Cheever engaged in was something that every single person would do. Yeah. Especially to their spouse, significant right. other. I don't think you can fault somebody for reaching out to their spouse and letting them know, hey, this is going to happen. Yeah. And, and it's that, but that is enough to discredit right. him. And then by virtue of everything else that he said, well, we can't trust the CDC. Who can we trust? Oh, well, we could trust Jude Law and Forsythia <laughs> and whatever he's peddling. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, drink, just just drink your your silver from Jim Baker. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah that'll work. <laughs> the uh, uh, New York Attorney General told him to stop or they were going to um, prosecute him. Thankfully. <laughs> yeah. There's just there's just too much uh there's 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 too much um taking advantage. Yeah of people I mean, in, 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 fear. in desperate times. Oh yeah. Again, going back to this idea that when you don't know what is going on and you're uncertain, you're really looking for control and you're looking for answers mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily apply the same rigid problem solving standards that you would ordinarily. You know, look at that scene in the film. And again, you know, what I love about this film is everything's like kind of time stamped. So you're talking roughly two weeks into the epidemic where there's a riot at the pharmacy when they only when they learn that there's only 50 dosage of the Forsythia mm -hmm. available mm -hmm. and people lose their mind. Yeah. Um, throwing, throwing glass through the or throwing a chair through the glass and bum rushing the pharmacist mm -hmm. and. You know, you start to see this breakdown of societal norms uh, because they're looking for anything, you know, right. anything that could help them gain a better understanding of what's going on or gain some control over a situation that they have no control over. Yeah. Yeah. Control is, um, it's, uh, missing from <laughs> pandemics. It really yes. is, because we're at the whim of a tiny little organism that's only job and only goal in life is to replicate. And it found the greatest place to replicate 
yeah. uh, according to itself, in the lung tissue of human beings as well as other mammals. And it's like, oh, screw bats. <laughs> I can get my kicks by doing this in humans. <laughs> and that's it. We are at the whim yep. of something that all that all it cares about is to do that. And, and then the only way um, we have to the only way we have to explain it is through like complex epidemiological models yep. and math. Right. And that offers some semblance of control because at least we can um uh, do a little bit of prediction here and there in order to mitigate some of those effects but at the at 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 the end of the day at the end of the day it's it's an organism that's going to do what it's going to do yeah um and we have some saving we have some saving grace from its low r not value um from its um really weak exterior um so it is uh so its RNA is surrounded by um, uh, uh, fatty tissue, which breaks down in contact with soap, which is pretty cool. Um, nice. And so you can expose the RNA and then and then it's it's game over for those particular particles, those um, virions, um, which is a cool word. Most people don't. It is. Most people <laughs> don't um, talk about little virus particles as virions, but, you know, that's what they are. Um, and then, you know, 60% alcohol, uh, uh, solutions will, will take care of it too, but 60% or higher. Um, and so we have these little mitigation things, but is it really control? Eh, Debatable, I think. (laughs) Right. Um, and so, yeah, it leads to the fear and the uncertainty, uh, all the things that we've, we've definitely approached in this, uh, in this episode. The uh, the tagline for contagion, which I never knew, uh, is uh, and I'm looking for it. Here we go. Uh, Nothing spreads like fear. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The film is perfect for that. It's it's a really good one. It is a really good one. Um, what I wanted to do is uh, end this episode with a um, brief chat on what what uh, what you you and I could um share with the listeners for how to deal with this um in our time so do you have any tips or offerings maybe that you've given to your students or from your experience on how to deal with with the current situation i so the, the this really interesting question and uh because i've been very honest with my students and telling them that I'm fumbling my way through this just as much as they are. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, valid and, and fine. And yeah, and they seem to really appreciate that because on the surface, through the content that I'm delivering in my classes, it seems like I, I have everything together. But that's really as a result of lots of hours of getting it wrong uh, mm-hmm. and trying, trying to put out a product or class that makes some sense. And so I've been trying to remind them that we're all struggling in our own ways and that it's really important for them to take care of themselves. Yeah. Which isn't e- isn't easy for them to do because they've been thrust into this role of online student, a role that they didn't sign up for. Uh they've been told to go home. Uh so you know, their spring break was ruined and then mm-hmm. they thought they were coming back to campus and they're not. They're 
now working or caring for family or just otherwise stressed out. So that's what I've been trying to tell them because I'm, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I have good coping skills. So, so how are you coping then? <laughs> oh, not well. Um, trying to make sure that I take advantage of what I can do mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking about what I can't. Right. Um, so that's a good, yeah, that's a good mindset. A, yeah, I have a little spot here in town. It's not the most picturesque. It certainly isn't where you would go if you wanted to sit by the water. It's not the nicest park, but it's perfect because nobody goes there. <laughs> so, yeah, so I try and get there for a little while every day. Yeah. And again, you know, I live on the Gulf Coast. It's except for hurricanes, it's an ideal place to be living. And sure. so trying to take advantage and looking at okay, there's a lot that I can't do, but what can I do and trying to focus on that. Okay. I, I guess think that's a good message. Yeah, I think it's it's some sort of non-technical mindfulness or something of, of that nature yeah i like that um some of the things that uh i've been been doing are generally speaking what i tend to do anyways watch a lot of movies watch a lot of tv um now i do it a little bit more because there's no going places um, i don't have travel time to work anymore <laughs> um yeah it's nice. uh at least for the for the foreseeable future you know um, and, um, today I, I, I have a little bit of a different weather situation than you being in, in central Illinois today was amazing. It was actually, um, low sixties in the afternoon and, uh, a, a, a cloudless day. Oh, um, and it hasn't been that way very often in the last few weeks, especially the year that was March, 2020. Um, because I feel like the beginning of March was a year or two ago. It feels um, like it. And so there's been a lot of dreary days, but getting outside, going for walks, taking the dog for a walk, um, and, um, sort of switching off school when I can and just being like, you know what? I, I, I'm, I can't do work right now. I'm not going to do work right now. I've done the best that I can for this moment. Um, and for the next couple of days, that's and and we'll tackle the rest later. Um, and uh, I read a very good piece about the feelings that people are having right now and the people and, and the things that, uh, uh, you know, the the kinds of um, uh, responses that you see in the film all, uh, from people, of course, b besides fear is uh that a lot of people are experiencing grief yeah um <laughs> mourning and, the life that they used to have yes mourning the life that they used to have uh and and how uh, lots of times we just we kind of take it for granted and um uh i think it's valid to have those feelings you continue to have those feelings and um nobody should tell you to pick yourself up by the bootstraps because um where are you gonna go are you gonna pick yourself exactly. up by the bootstraps and go to your living room okay <laughs> yeah no it's important to acknowledge those feelings and i give myself a little bit of time every day to feel sorry you know feel a little pity yeah uh to think about how crappy everything is but i try to 
kind of restrict that and then kind of get it out of my system and be like, okay, what am I going to do? What do I need to get do today? Sure. What can I do that I wouldn't ordinarily get done? Uh, like you said, I've been watching a lot more movies, uh, catching up on Netflix binging, not exactly <laughs> the most productive stuff, but definitely enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, the the old uh, the old adage that you have to y- that you um can uh you th- think about what you can control and I'm probably just destroying this but you 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 do what you can control and you let go of the things that you can't and um you know some good old it sounds it sounds like anthony you have some good old-fashioned problem focused coping going on right now Uh, with all of the stressors i am trying all right anthony was there anything else about uh uh contagion that you wanted to share with the listeners um the only really thing i would ask or or inquire with people is why are people watching this now uh-huh. Um, I, th- I think it's worth exploring. I mean, we know we're out of time, but it seems kind of interesting that a movie that depicts a situation so much worse than what we're going through is becoming so popular. And, yeah. and I think that's something that's, you know, worth exploring, worth thinking about. And I think that's in general for movies kind of thinking about, well, what is it about this particular movie that I'm watching at this time? What, what purpose mm-hmm. is it serving? And so I kind of thought that that it would be kind of interesting for your listeners to think about if they decide as a result of listening to your podcast or just in general mm-hmm. popping that film in, well, what purpose is it serving and, and you know, how are they using it? I think yeah. that's kind of an interesting element of film that we don't often take time to consider. Yeah, because um, it's not very often that um, life imitates art. And so when it does, it's jarring. Yeah, and not normally this close. Not, yeah, not normally this close. Oh boy! All right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. Um, that's a good food for thought. That's a good food for thought. Um, last. Um, last nugget there. Uh, so that's good. I want to thank Anthony Sakalillo for joining me to discuss Contagion, a very timely topic, very timely film. Uh, while saying goodbye, Anthony, uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Um, if uh, folks can find out more about your work, anything else, don't forget to say goodbye. <laughs> well, I mean, I live a pretty simple life, so I don't know that I have anything about my work, uh, but I would like to give a plug to another podcast. Sure. That I think you're... Yeah, that I think your listeners would find enjoyable. Uh, I've been lucky enough to work with these guys uh, on an episode, and their podcast follows a very similar format as your last episode, where they pair a couple of movies together. Yeah, so that usually, was um, the Rashomon Knives Out episode. Sure, yeah. And they usually take uh, current films, so something that's usually in the theaters right now, uh-huh. and then pair it with a older comparison film. Okay. And... The spin that they bring to it is that they also pair both films with craft beer. Uh-huh. Um, so it's an interesting kind of spin. And mm-hmm. so not spe- not specifically deep diving into any sort of psychological content. Uh, their comment is incredibly astute and they are fans. And, and, I, and I think fans of film or and beer 
mm-hmm. uh, will enjoy their production. So okay. uh, the podcast is called Beer in a Movie. Um, not terribly surprising. Uh-huh. Uh, and you can find find out more about them uh, and listen at beerandamoviepodcast.com. Yeah, and that's uh, A-N-D in the um, URL there. Well, yes, uh, Anthony, thanks again for, for stopping by. Thank you very much for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, you bet. Uh, listener, please keep sharing. Please keep subscribing and liking and commenting and giving feedback. Um, the last episode, I gave you a challenge. Um, share the podcast with five of your friends or colleagues. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. Um, so whether you listen to all the episodes or listen to only the films that you see in the title that you know, um, you know, others might love this podcast um, and they might want to do the same. So please let them know. That'll be amazing if you did. The show is fairly unique. Um, so letting others know is how we grow. I just rhymed. I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. We appreciate the support. And until the next episode, thanks for listening.